0: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, We are thankful for all that God is allowing us to be a part of. The work at Sudan is absolutely amazing to see what God is doing and allowing us uh, at the Mount Juliet congregation to be a part of that. We appreciate so much Don And the great leadership that he provides to that and, of course, the eldership here and the oversight. And then the opportunities like we have right now to be involved in gathering the medicines. Many of us probably at times where we have some, what we think are some pretty uh, heavy aches and pains and maybe it's muscles or a headache. We can't imagine not having anything uh, to take and what a blessing it'll be to be able to offer medication and a facility, and even a nurse, where well, it's very rare in Sudan, and yet all of that can be na- named and offered uh, in the name of the Lord, and, and we're so thankful for that. Also, we're thankful for the Ladies' Inspiration Day that's coming up this coming Saturday. Be sure, ladies, mark a calendar for that, and uh, enjoy and benefit from that, and invite others to be a part of that also. Uh, it ought to be a, a tremendous time. If the shoe fits, is the the, uh, theme for the day, and we look forward to hearing the good that will come out of that. The good today, of course, is not only the opportunity to worship and hear a sermon, but also to worship and go out and be the sermon. And we look forward to hundreds of us going out and and doing things in the community. To be honest with you, some of the things we're doing, people in the community don't want to do. It's hard work, and uh, they have voluntarily passed up on it. At least two different places that we're going today, that's what they've said. They said, we've had people to come in and offer to work, but they don't want to do these things. And uh, it's going to be good to be able to go out and to show individuals that we truly do want to serve. And we don't mind rolling our sleeves up, and we don't mind uh, being busy and doing good for our neighbor. And we'll give God all the glory. Uh, there are so many things, from the teddy bear workshop to working on the firing range of the Mount Juliet Police Department and everywhere in between with schools and nursing homes. And so we want you to find the place that's a good fit for you. That's why we try to offer so, such a, a range and a variety of opportunities. You find the place that's good for you and be prayerful about it. I know it's coming up in just a few hours, but let's all be prayerful that, that God will receive the glory for this great good. A Marine and his commanding officer were sitting side by side on a train passing through Switzerland. Now, it was one of those setups where it was two, a pair of seats facing a pair of seats. So just a few inches away from their knees was a beautiful young woman in her early 20s and her grandmother. Now, they passed through the the rails there for over an hour, and it became obvious that this young woman and this young Marine were very intrigued with each other. All four were able to tell that. And then they passed through a long, dark tunnel. About midway through that tunnel, you could hear the sound of a kiss, and then the sound of a smack. Somebody had been slapped. The train comes out of that tunnel and all four of them are sitting there as if nothing happened. The grandmother's thinking to herself, I don't blame him for wanting to kiss her, but I'm just glad she slapped him. And the granddaughter's thinking, I sure am glad he kissed me. I just hate that grandmother smacked him the commanding officer is sitting there and he's thinking, I don't blame the young fella at all for kissing her. I just hate that when she went to smack him in the dark, she missed him and hit me. And the young man is sitting there thinking, what a day. I've just kissed a beautiful young lady and smacked my commanding officer all at the same time. (laughs) Isn't it amazing how deceitful and confusing darkness can be. As a matter of fact, darkness is not only recognized as as a danger, if you will, to those of us that are Christians, but to some degree, even darkness recognizes darkness. Do you remember when Pac-Man Jones was in the middle of his one of 13 or 15 episodes of being arrested when he lived and and, and played football in this particular uh, area? you remember at least one, if not two or three of the judges that he would stand before would say things like this? Someone like you has no business being out after midnight. Nothing good happens after midnight. Now what are they saying? They're saying that when physical darkness comes and prevails over the night, that oftentimes people's morals and their ability to make wise judgment seems to go out the window. Friends, the text that has just been given to us is a text that Jesus gave us not only to realize that we need to live a life that's different, But we need to make sure that we realize that with that we have a responsibility of influence. We live this enlightened life. We live the life where we have received enlightenment from Jesus. But we have a responsibility to be that light and to be that salt to everyone who is around us. Why? There's a reason There's a reason that everything that Jesus taught that we're studying today and all that we're going to study today is going to come down to the very end of this this reason. And that is so others will see our good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Are you going to be the reason today that someone else sees your good works because you're salt, because you're light, and they're going to glorify the Father which is in heaven? Be the reason. Every day is an opportunity. You say, I'll be the reason later on. You don't know if you'll have later on. You don't know if, you'll, if your paths will cross with the same people that they cross today. We need to be salt. We need to be light every day because every day God is giving us the reason to do good. It's so others will see our good works and be drawn to the Father, to glorify the Father which is in heaven. Out of all of the analogies and illustrations and details in Jesus' teaching, one of the great ones, and I say that because he uses it so often, and so I'm assuming he liked it a lot since he used it so often, and it's the one of light. Now, we could look all morning long at passages, but could we flip quickly through just a few passages in John just to remind us of probably some things we already know, but just to be reminded of how important it is that Jesus is light and that we become followers of that light and then that we also become that light to share with others. The gospel of John, of course, is all about Jesus. And and right out of the first verse, it's revealed that Jesus is the word manifested on earth and that he is God. And we can't go any further than four verses without this being the description of Jesus. John 1 and 4. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. He came to enlighten men to tell them how to have life. They were dying spiritually. They needed to have life. But they didn't know how to have life. They didn't have the means of having life. They needed a Savior, but they also needed the knowledge to know how to name Him as their Savior. They needed enlightenment. He came to not only give life, He came to enlighten them about how to have life. And even before he began his public ministry, John the Baptist begins his ministry to tell people to look for the one who is the light. Look at verse 7. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. The purpose of John was to point mankind toward the light. Look at John the 8th chapter. In John the 8th chapter in verse 12, we finish up the, the first part of this chapter by the situation with the adulterous woman. And now notice he turns then to others and he says in verse 12, after that particular episode, he says in verse 12, then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. That walk is conduct. It's, it's, it's daily behavior. It's your life. He who follows Him is not going to walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Darkness is a very confusing place to walk. A lot of things can happen in darkness and we don't know why they happen. We don't even know exactly what's going to happen next because things do not make sense to us when we walk around and when we live in darkness. And Jesus Christ came to shed light to say, you know what? I can make a lot of things become clear to you. I can help you learn where you came from. What is your purpose now? Where are you going? There is so much enlightenment that Jesus can give that the world simply doesn't have. Let's look at The ninth chapter, as we look in the ninth chapter, look at verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now that's important for our lesson today. He's the light of the world for how long? Notice he says, as long as I'm in the world. Remember, he ascended. So when he ascends into heaven, who's going to be the light in the world once he ascends into heaven? You already know the answer to that. We've already had the text capably read for us already. Now his followers are to become the light to the world. Go to the 12th chapter and we'll see that real clear in 35 and 36. When we read in John the 12th chapter, then Jesus said to them, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk. See, that's that daily conduct. Walk while you have the light. Lest darkness overtakes you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. See the confusion there? But listen to this answer. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. What does the Lord want for us? The Lord wants us to become sons of light. He stands here and what? we only can describe, we don't know any better way to describe, more accurate way to describe probably one of the most beautiful sermons that was ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. He begins the first several verses by saying, I want to tell you a distinctive life that I'm going to ask you to live. And he talks about their attitude and their character. We call those the Beatitudes. And then just after, he describes that life that's going to be different. It's the life that's going to be a reflection of the light. Then he spends the next verses saying, now that you are light, you have a responsibility to not just be selfish. Oh, I'm glad I'm saved and that's all I'm concerned about. I want to make sure that I go to heaven or I want to make sure that just my little family here goes to heaven. He says, oh no, I didn't save you to become selfish. I didn't save you for you to walk this way alone. I saved you so that I would have lights Out in a dark world, I saved you so that there would be salt that would be offered to a world that's decaying. Salt. That's interesting because today, we probably don't place a high value on salt. We would if we didn't have it. But you see, that's kind of the problem in the illustration now. It is so abundant now. What really drives the cost of salt today is not the price of salt. It's the price of shipping. I mean, think about it. In the last month or two, there have been a few of you in here who says, you know what, I paid for gas the other day. But none of you have come in this past week and said, honey, do you know what this salt cost? You haven't done that. But you know, there have been civilizations and society where salt was literally considered one of the valuable minerals. Because if you didn't have it, you needed it. And especially before the days of refrigeration. As I was studying for this lesson, I, I literally chuckled out loud when I was, I was reading this, this guy, very brilliant writer, but he's a city guy. And, and so, so he's, he, he's writing on this particular topic. And, and so when he illustrates that salt was used in, in preservatives, he said, for example, and he went back to the Mayflower. And he said, when, when they came over on the Mayflower, they would have had meat that had been salted down to preserve their life. And I'm thinking... You don't have to go back a few hundred years to talk about that. I mean, how many of us in this room, there would be probably more than you would think, that have salted down country hams? And you know, I've shared with you that before, but let me just say this. I have never yet salted down a ham. And I'm talking from a little boy to a teenager to even just this past year. I have never salted down a ham without it running through my mind. this is amazing. You can lay this piece of meat outside for a day or two without salt and you'd say, it's spoiled. We have to throw it away. You salt it and it cures and it's good for at least a year. That's amazing. If we didn't have refrigeration, we would value salt so much more. What's the Lord saying? He says there's this preservative. It also helps cure wounds. I don't know how many of you. How about just a real slight raise of hand. If, if you grew up in a family that whenever you cut your hand, the first thing they did was roll, they ran some warm water, put some salt in it, and said, soak it for five minutes. Anybody? Oh, yeah, there's a few hands. That's the country way of making sure you don't get infections. You don't necessarily have to go get a tetanus shot if you'll do that enough times. That's my theory. You might not want to bank on that, but that's the way we lived, okay? Now, you know what it does, though? It helps kill the infection, but you know what else it does? It stings when you first put it in there. It hurts. Isn't that the way the Word of God does? Whenever we're living a sinful life and, and the Word of God convicts us, it stings. It stings. At first, we don't want to hear it. But you know what? If we allow the Word of God to heal us, we come out better, obviously. Do you see what the Lord is doing here? The Lord is saying, I saved you. In other words, I healed you. I've enlightened you. I've saved you. Now I'm sending you, not to your own little colony somewhere, I'm sending you out in the world. John, the 17th chapter, that's what he said. I'm sending you out into the world. Why? Now you go out and you be salt. You help cure a world that is decaying. You take a gospel that helps bind up the wounds of those that are hurting. You do that. You be a light where a world that's confused and they're stumping their toe every day and they just don't know where to turn. You be the light that they'll know where to turn. Now what's interesting in this teaching is that if we just said... Matthew five thirteen through 16, talks about light. How many times is the word darkness mentioned there? Well, most of us probably, if we didn't give it a lot of thought, we'd probably say, surely it's in there a few times. Isn't it interesting it's not? You see, there's a presupposition that God makes here. And it's real simple. God just supposes that you and I know that the world is decaying and that the world is in darkness. And so he, in this particular passage, Jesus doesn't address that. He just realizes that the people he's talking to will know that. We don't have to flip far through the Bible. Do we see that that's the struggle of mankind? We see man created on one page and the very next page we see sin entering into their life and they're driven out of the garden. We turn over just one more page and we see one of their sons murdering the other son. We turn over another page and we see that every imagination of every thought of all of mankind was on evil continually except for one little family and God had them to build an ark and He closed them and some animals up in the ark and He destroyed all the rest of them because the world was wounded and in darkness. Friends, God supposes that you and I have our eyes open enough to recognize the fact that there is a huge difference in those who are saved and healed by Jesus Christ and those who are in darkness and injured by the world. And so he says in this passage, supposing we understand that, I have a plan. And the plan is real direct. If you want to look on the screen or you want to look back down at your Bible, look at the first two phrases in 13 and 14. Look in 13. You are the salt of the earth. Fourteen. You are the light of the world. How how much more emphatic could it be? How much more direct could it be? Lord, do you have a plan for this world that's out there and and it's it's decaying and it's hurting so badly? Lord, I hate to see my neighbors like that. And Lord, I, I just wish there was something I could do. And the Lord says, I've got a plan. You're it. You're the plan. That commission that we call great, go into all the world and preach the gospel, it was given to us because there is no other plan. You're the influence. And if you don't take it to Mount Juliet, brethren, get this. Nobody else is taking it. If you don't take it to Middle Tennessee, nobody's taking it. Can you imagine what it would be like? I'm not planting seeds of of things that won't happen. I'm just trying to make a point. Can you imagine what it would be like if the Lord spoke to us and said, you know, this population growth, we're we're almost 7 billion people now. And it's just kind of outgrown the influence of the disciples of Jesus. And so since since the the disciples of Jesus have fallen so far behind, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to resurrect some great prophets. And, and imagine, imagine God saying, I'm going to bring back Moses and Elijah. I'm, I'm going to bring back John the Baptist. And, and we're just going to let them live on the earth for five or ten years. And, and they're just going to go into certain cities. And they're going to live there for six months. Can you imagine? Can you imagine getting word? Moses is moving to Mount Juliet, Tennessee for six months. How exciting would that be? How many of us would say, can you imagine what's going to happen in Mount Juliet in, in the next six months? Moses is coming here. You realize how powerful he is? Do you realize the way that man loves people and he loves God and he doesn't mind taking a stand? Mount Juliet's going to be different if Moses is here for six months. Or imagine this, Well, I've got, to, I've, I've got a plan C. I've got a plan C. I want to send Jesus back to earth and let him live on the earth for a decade. And he can just go around and spend time on different continents. And he can travel through different cities. And he can do miracles. And he can get everybody's attention. It's not going to happen. Do you hear it? Do you believe it? It's not going to happen. The Lord says, I've got my influence that I want on this earth. I've got disciples of mine that are salt, and they are light. And that's my plan, my only plan. It's like one of the great warriors of old who who brought his troops to the side to face an enemy that seemed like it would be impossible to beat them, and he turned around and burned the ships so his men could not retreat. And when they say, how'd they win the battle? They said, because the ships were on fire. Do you believe there's no other option? Do you believe we're it? Do you live every day? Every day. Realizing that today my path is going to cross with somebody that needs salt because their life is wounded. My path is going to cross with a lot of people that are stumping their spiritual toes in darkness and they need somebody that can help them see light. Do we believe that not only we are the answer, we are the only answer that the Lord sends out today? I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just telling you, preaching the text, there's a problem. Jesus puts out one positive line and then immediately he begins talking about the negative. A problem might occur. See in 13, very positive. You're the salt of the earth. Now we have a great concern here. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. And really when we read verse 15... It sounds like he is implying negative here. Listen, when he says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all there in the house. What's the Lord doing? He's saying, look, I've got a plan for you. You're going to be the salt of the earth. You're going to be the light of the world. But there are some people that they're going to go out and they're going to lose their saltiness. They're not going to be able to help other people because they're not faithful themselves. Now we're in lukewarmness. Maybe hypocrisy. He says there's going to be people that go out and if you can imagine this, they find their lamp. They buy the oil and fill it up. They trim their wick and they even find fire to light it. And they set that up in their house and then they put a basket over it so no one else will see it. That's a problem. It's a problem whenever we don't realize our responsibility of influence. Now please note this. There's a big difference in an individual who's arrogant, who goes out and in a sense they're flaunting their good works. They're like the Pharisee who prayed that he's thankful that he's not like that publican. No, what we need to recognize is we need to recognize that we do have a purpose. And the Lord made that purpose very, very clear. Let your light so shine. Well, you know, I, I try to make sure I do good, but I don't want anybody to see it. Think about what you're saying there. I'm not talking about being arrogant. I'm talking about where does that mindset come from? How do you fit it into this verse? How do you fit it into our responsibility that there's a dark world around us and they need to see, not just hear sermons, they need to see godly living. Do you realize that you have neighbors within, within just, just a, a few houses of you, they're children. They need to see what a man and a woman looks like that loves each other and is committed to each other because they haven't seen that in their life. They need to see what a man looks like that doesn't cuss every other sentence and doesn't have perverted thoughts running out of their mouth. They need to see what a family looks like where brothers and sisters don't fight each other all the time, but they really do love and show respect to each other. We could go on and on and on with your workplace needing people of integrity, with your friends needing to see a family that stays together and stays with God. Listen, that's what the salt is all about. That's what the light is all about. Go and let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. It's not about you. And glorify the Father which is in heaven. Be the reason. Be the reason people glorify the Father who is in heaven. There are some people that know Christians that are apathetic. And they're so much like the world, they don't see a reason to become a Christian because in their mind, the only difference in a Christian in the world is just that the Christian goes to church occasionally. Don't be the reason somebody says, I don't want to become a Christian. Don't be a hypocrite. That's what fuels the flames of atheism. People hate hypocrites. And it's easy to use that as fuel against Christianity. Be the reason for what? Be the reason that people see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. We don't have a screen for it, but I want to read to you about two or three lines from a psalm that I found this week that... Just listen to this. I might read it twice to you. Just let this sink in of of what is our purpose in life... Psalm 115 and verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name give glory. Isn't that awesome? Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to Your name give glory. Thank God we can be saved. But with that comes a responsibility to shine an influence that points others to God. Today, be the reason. If you're not saved, let's get our life right this morning. You can't give a good reason for not being a child of God. If you've never given your life over to Him, you're missing the greatest relationship that's ever been offered, the greatest reward that's ever been offered, the greatest life, the resurrection from spiritual death. Are you a believer that He is the Savior? Are you willing to repent and turn from the world, the darkness, and to the light? Not being ashamed, but shining, confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and being immersed into Christ where it's that great separation, where our sins are forgiven. And now, we are with the Lord. By His grace... And by His mercy. But if along the way you've lost the way. If along the way you've lost your saltiness. You've lost your light. Listen, it happens. It happens to all of us. There's not anybody here perfect. But we can't stay there. We can't stay there and be what God's designed for us to be. This morning. Let's all leave here. Thankful for all that God's offered us. And being generous to offer it to everyone that we come in contact with. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.